0: They had something that we wanted. Then we fought back with them like crazy. We would do whatever it took to take our toys back. But then we learned to get along again. We got older. We learned to play games together. If there wasn't a game, we would just make up one. All of you can identify with that. But we still fought sometimes because we wanted something that our friend wanted or our sister or whatever. But if we ever got too angry, we'd all just go and play in the mud and then things would be okay again. (laughs) Isn't that great? I've been in a few mud fights like that, spiritually speaking. Uh, (laughs) So as adults, relationships get more complicated. The stakes are higher. We just don't play on the playground or in the mud or on the ball field to make things better. So our question today is, as adults, how do we build relationships and how do we tear them apart? In this series entitled Community, Where You and I Belong, I'm sure it is not lost upon you. What happens if you take the you and the I out of the word community? You're left with something entirely different. And this is to illustrate the value and importance of each one of you in community life. I hope that you will gather that from the message today, that you have a place in the body of Christ which has been given to you. You have gifts and ministries that you are to uh, submit to others within the body of Christ, and there is to be a benefit, a mutual benefit to you all. So it cannot be overemphasized that every member is important and necessary for one chapel to be successful in its mission of moving people from where they are to where God wants them to be. This is what we're all involved in. So I want to give this little disclaimer this morning that what I'm about to say to you is not a Sunday school lesson. It's not something to tickle your fancy or make you feel uh, necessarily better. But it is to speak to your heart and to challenge you at the very core of your being. And if you will allow the Holy Spirit access to your life today while I'm speaking these words, the power of the Word of God and of His Spirit will bring transformation to you regarding the ideas that I'm going to present to you today. Our key verse is found in Romans chapter 12 and verse 5. Christ makes us one body and individuals who are connected to one another. The New King James, we are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. I think that we do not take this concept seriously enough in our life, that we are committed and connected to not only the Lord Jesus Christ in our relationship of faith, but we are connected as a member of his body, the worldwide body of Christ as we quoted in the creed, but also the local body where we can make what I'm going to speak about today Community really happen in our lives in a practical and powerful way. The truth is that we were created for community. We are wired for relationships in our life. It's the way that God has made us. We are formed to be a part of a family and our heart always tends in one way or another to find that environment where we will be safe and where we can be, bl- be blessed. Our problem is that it's easy to get disconnected in this culture from our children, from our parents, our brothers, our sisters, our friends, our husband or wife if we're married. It's easy to become disconnected from our church or our group, and we drift away into isolation and miss the important value of Of community in our life. So today we want to look at why this is true. So I'd like to ask you if you are involved in a a small group of some kind in one chapel, meaning are you on a team and you serve in some capacity? Do you work with children? Are you on the worship team? Do you usher or whatever? Uh, Are you a part uh, of a catalyst group? and uh, you came to Catalyst, you've been a part of a Catalyst group in Catalyst 1 or 2, or you've been a part of our group system that's been going on for a long time. How many of you would raise your hand and say, I am a part of a small group in one chapel? Lift up your hand and hold it up high. Come on, hold it up. Some of you are half masters. Come on, (laughs) lift it up. Look around. I want you to look around that most of the people in this room are connected in some way in a small group and that is a wonderful testimony to getting a, a lead, getting an edge on having true community in our life. I want to warn you though that if you're a part of a small group, you are going to have differences. If you always get along in perfect harmony, either You are not being honest or you are dead. Because God made us all different. So we have to live our lives learning how to get along. And we ought to be happy about that diversity. What would you think if this whole church was made up of people like me? That would be the worst thing. Because nobody could hear the message as it was going on. I'd be making too much noise. Exactly. It wouldn't hurt if some more of you'd speak up and help me out a little now and then. Cruz, I see you back there. You can speak up a little more. So, yeah, diversity is a good thing. It's a, it's a, Wonderful thing that God has created us us in this way, but we really need to commit ourselves to learning how to live as the body of Christ in true community. Groups, which we're having today, as you see some balloons here in the auditorium, uh, each group leader has a balloon connected to them, and they'll be wandering around after the service uh, inviting you to be a part of dinner for 6, 7, 8, or 12, however it happens to be. I talked to one person, and they said there are already up to 20 people in their group for food. I said, well, no going to get to talk in that group. <laughs> so these group leaders are here today to offer you the opportunity to get involved. So I said to one brother, I was meeting in between the services. I, I said, uh, uh, so uh, James, uh, you know, are you connected to a group? No, no. He said, I've just been here a couple of times. I said, well, you know, we're having group Sunday. You can uh, go and meet some of these group leaders. They have balloons. And, or you can go online and sign up to a group and just show up at their house. He goes, (laughs) he said, I think that would be too much for me. I just don't think I could go and show up at somebody's house if I didn't know them already. Well, just develop an online relationship (laughs) and then go. But it's groups today. So this is the laboratory for learning how to get along with other people. None of us had a class when we were young in school about relationships, how to do them, what makes them work and don't work. Maybe our parents didn't teach us that well either. Yet learning about good relationships is far more important in our lives than anything else. It greases the machinery of life to have good, healthy relationships around us. Scripture says that every relational problem comes down to one or more negative attitudes. These are the enemies of good relationships. And this message, which I'm sharing with you today, can sincerely help your life at whatever stage you may be. Whatever you're going through in your life, whether you're young or old, whatever has happened to you, This message will help you if you'll allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and take action upon it. So the first thing we want to talk about, which destroys relationships in our life, is selfishness. This is the number one enemy of good relationships. Because it causes conflict, arguments, divorce, and war. Selfishness is a dastardly thing. And we need to deal with it in our lives. In James chapter 4, what causes fights and quarrels? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. And so there's a battle that ensues. It's very easy, perhaps you've noticed, for selfishness to creep into our relationships. Remember when you were dating? We worked really hard at being unselfish. Later, however, selfishness begins to creep in. Don't you agree that we put more work into building relationships than to maintaining them? To illustrate that, I'll just say that some of you men may have been used to bringing your wife flowers once a month just to show her the appreciation that you have for her. And now you're only bringing them once a year. Maybe on Valentine's Day or sometimes not even. And so we allow the selfishness of our life to crowd out the things which are so important for us. Perhaps you've heard this little scenario which illustrates how this goes on. This is called the five stages of a married cold. So to set the tone, a young couple gets married, and over the first five years, this is how he responds to his wife when she gets sick. The first year, he says, Baby darling, I'm worried about that sniffle. I've called the ambulance to rush you to the hospital (laughs) for a checkup and a week of rest. Now, I know you don't like hospital food, so I'm having your favorite food brought in for you. That's how he does the first year. Second, he says, Sweetheart, I don't like the sound of that cough. I've arranged for the doctor to make a house call. Come on, a house call. Come on, let me tuck you into bed. Third year goes by. You look like you've got a fever. Why don't you drive yourself over to the clinic and get some medicine? I'll watch the kids. Fourth year, he says, be sensible, dear. After you've fed and bathed the kids and washed the dishes, you really ought to go to bed. The fifth year, he says, for Pete's sake, do you have to cough so loud I can't hear the TV. Would you mind going into the other room while this show is on? You sound like a barking dog. Now, this is a terrible thing. One guy was heard to say, in the first year of our marriage, my wife used to bring me my slippers and the dog came barking. Now the dog brings me my slippers. When we stop making the effort to have good relationships, it's easy to slide into selfishness. Why can't I change? Why can't I do something about this? Two reasons. The first is that it's natural for us to be selfish. It's human nature to be selfish. We begin that way, as you can illustrate it by the pics we showed earlier, and <coughs> we, don't, uh, we don't learn very easily how to share in our life. Secondly, everything around us in our society and culture feeds our self-centeredness. Wouldn't you agree with that? Advertising is is, is about self-centeredness and selfishness. Uh, Have it your own way. I remember, some of you won't remember this because you're not that old, but Frank Sinatra, somebody said, who's he? Uh, (laughs) Frank Sinatra used to sing a song, I'll have it my way. There you go. So, that, that's a part of the culture. Feed yourself. Take care of yourself. Uh, what, stays in Vegas, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So, I, I went out after the first service and one couple said, we're going to Vegas tomorrow to get married. So, I guess they're going to have a great time. I'm so happy for them. But, what stays in Vegas... Uh, is is kind of a line for, I can go to Vegas and do whatever I selfishly please, and it seems to be all right with everyone. But I'm here to say that is not the case. Because selfishness sows seeds that breaks relationships in our life. Self-centeredness cannot build relationships. It only destroys them. Proverbs chapter 28, selfishness only causes trouble. A proud heart stirs up strife. So what do we do about this? The thing we do about it is we learn how to be selfless. If selfishness destroys relationships, selflessness builds them. Philippians chapter 2, look out for one another's interests, not just for your own. God's favorite places to teach selflessness is first in your family and two in the church within the group. Why? Because these are the people that are or should be close to you on a regular basis. And it's here that you learn to give and take and get along with people who are different from yourself. And it's such an important thing. Here's a list on how to practice selflessness in your group as you meet together this summer. The first one is by showing up. It's a selfless act to show up to your group. Put the group over yourself because you might rather be at home relaxing by the pool or lying on your couch or as in my case, sitting in my recliner with my feet up. Recliner goes the feet up, head goes back, 30 seconds I'm snoring like crazy it's so comfortable so nice I love it but when it comes group night up I get out of there and I go to be with people because I know it's good for me to build relationships so by showing up is a selfless act. And as you have opportunity today to meet some new people, sign up for a group, participate in something that's so innocuous as coming together for supper, you begin to build some relationships that can be so powerful and meaning, meaningful and informative in your life. The second thing you can do in your group is by accepting new people in your group. You say, well, you know, my group's been together for quite a while. We really are kind of an exclusive group. That's the problem. Exclusivity is not good. We need to open our hearts up to new people and make them welcome as they come. Thirdly, by really listening to those within your group. You give them your time, which is your life, the most precious commodity that you have. You listen to what they have to say, and you grow as a result of it by offering people help through your abilities or your talents, by being a host. Yes, being a host is a selfless act. Make your home available for other people to have community. And then by not hiding the best snacks. (laughs) If you're a host, be selfless in your involvement in community. Galatians chapter 6 the person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others and ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. And he'll have to show, all he'll have to show for his life is weeds but the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. This is what we're talking about today. This community is not just a good idea. It's not something that Pastor Ross came up with and said, I'd sure like to shake these people up and make them do a little bit more activity. He's given us an opportunity in this community message for us to grow and develop ourselves in Christ Jesus our Lord. This idea of sowing and reaping is a universal principle, as you know. What you sow is what you reap. So if you plant criticism, you'll reap it. If you plant affirmation, you'll become affirmed in your life. Galatians chapter 5, live freely, animated by and motivated by God's spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. Anybody can be unselfish every once in a while. Just by your own willpower, you can be unselfish. But it takes God for it to be a lifestyle, for you to be selfless in your serving. The second area that gives us trouble in relationships is pride. Proverbs chapter 13, pride leads to arguments. By pride comes nothing but strife. Pride shows up in our lives in all kinds of different ways. If we're a particularly critical person and we're always criticizing other people, probably the root of that is pride. If you are quick to judge others, judgmental about whatever, it probably has a root in pride. Always comparing yourself with other people, her dress, his car, my salary, uh, her husband, uh, my job, my title, whatever. If you're always comparing with other people and feel like you have to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, then that's a problem Is probably rooted in pride. If you're stubborn, that you can't say that you are wrong, if you're, you're, you are stubborn and you can't admit that you've made a mistake, that's probably rooted in pride in your life. Here's a clue for you. If you offended someone, hurt someone's feelings, don't go to them and say, if I've ever done anything to offend you, then I'm sorry. That is a weak excuse for an apology. I want you to learn and practice before the mirror saying this. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. If we would learn to apologize taking the responsibility for the whole shebang ourselves, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Go and practice that today on somebody and see how it works out. If we only have shallow relationships in our lives. If we just surface talk with people all the time, if we don't have anyone where we can get down to brass tacks and business with them regarding our life and our relationship, then we are superficial. We keep people away which is probably rooted in our pride. What does pride look like in a small group? guy that has to tell the story that tops the last story that was told. I had a brother-in-law, kind of still have him, I guess. <clears throat> he told me a story one time, more than once, about when he was a boy, they grew such big mushrooms in the part of the country where he was from that a guy came to his father's place one time when he was a boy, and they had they harvested such a big mushroom that they had to cut it in half with a chainsaw and put it in the back of this guy's car for him to haul it away. Did I believe what he said? No. But I couldn't believe that he felt he had to tell that story. Has anyone here ever seen a mushroom that you had to cut in half with a chainsaw? Marty? Yeah. So, you know, the guy that tells the story that has to top the last story, and that can get out of hand. When you offer advice in the group that wasn't asked for, sometimes it's rooted in pride. If you can't ever admit that you had a tough week and it just hasn't gone well for you this week, then it might be that you have some pride in your life. The problem with pride is that we can't see it. Others do see it, but we don't. Proverbs chapter 16, pride will destroy a person. A proud attitude leads to ruin. First pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. Pride is something that will destroy the relationships of your life. But how do we counteract it? We have humility. Humility is something that builds relationships. Humility is the antidote to pride. Notice in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, it says, live in harmony, be sympathetic, love each other, have compassion, and be humble. These five things are keys to relationship building. And if we could take the word of God in this small measure and make it happen in our life, in our relationships, it would be so powerful for us. This is a good model for your group, for your family, for your business or whatever you are in. With whomever you're having relationships, you need to be living in harmony with them because harmony and humility go together. Just like a symphony, the beauty is in all the different instruments playing together. And that's the beauty that Christ sees in you today. Is all the different instruments playing together, living in harmony one with another. How can you and I grow in humility? Well, let me just say this. I didn't give the first service this advice, but I'll give it to you. Don't let it happen through humiliation. Because humiliation is never fun. I have been humiliated a time or two in my life. Not going to tell you about what. But it's just better if you grow in humility when Jesus controls your thoughts, attitudes, and reactions. That's that's how we can do it. That's how we counteract pride in our life is we let Jesus be in control of what we're thinking, what our attitudes are in relationships with others, and... In our reactions to what other people do and say. Philippians chapter 2. Be humble and give more honor to others than to yourselves. Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand or cling to his rights as God. He knew what humility was all about. And he helps us to know as well. The third thing which destroys relationships is fear. Now, there there are a few other things that uh, go along with fear, but I thought that fear was a more direct and more powerful word. Insecurity is another word. So think about it in those terms as we're talking about it. Proverbs chapter 29, the fear of human opinion disables. So when I am full of fear and insecure that all I think about is what you think of me it disables my life. Young people I'll give you this encouragement today don't get hung up on what other people are thinking of you. They're not thinking that much about you. And it's just better if you learn that early in life. Don't be hung up on what other people are thinking about you. So When children say to a parent or to a friend, I hate you. You know what that's like when your kid gets really mad at you. You've just corrected or disciplined them. And they say, I hate you. Why do they do it? They do it because they want to manipulate you or control you and not get any more spankings if they can help it. But fear causes us to try to control others and resist the control of others in our life. That destroys our relationships. We want to be close, but we fear being close. It's a conundrum. We, we, fee- we want to be close with people, but yet we fear being close. We long for intimacy, but we're scared to death to have intimacy with people. This is not the way God intended for our relationships to be. Fear prevents intimacy. You cannot be close to someone if there is fear in your relationship. This is why living together without the benefit of marriage does not work for the long run, because there's fear, insecurity, and no life commitment in the mix, plus a few other things, but that's a good start. First, we fear exposure, They will find out what I'm really like. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam says, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. It's interesting that in this society and culture, we don't have a problem of being physically naked, or nearly so, with a lot of people. Instead, we are fearful of emotional nakedness. What if somebody finds out about my faults, about my dark side, about the hidden parts of me? That's how we get through those things. That's why Jesus has given us community. I encourage those that I disciple that if you want to progress in God, you have to do two things. You have to know and you have to be known. And I say that to you today. If you want to grow in Christ and in community with the body of Christ, you have to know other people and you have to be known of them. Provide an opportunity for transparency. That's why the group is so wonderful and so powerful. First, we fear exposure. And then secondly, we fear rejection. We've all experienced rejection at some time. Marriage, job, friends, So we build up walls in our relationships thinking we're going to protect ourselves. But if anyone understands rejection, it is Jesus Christ himself. They nailed him to the cross and he has the ability. In fact, he's the the one who has the most ability to help you with this problem which destroys our relationships. So fear or insecurities, get rid of it and replace it with love because love Bill's relationship. 1 John chapter 4, love has no fear because perfect love expels fear. If we are afraid, it shows that his love has not been perfected in us. So love is very important. How does love expel fear? It takes the focus off of you and puts it upon other people. You love them. You love them. After the first service, I went out to where the groups were uh, gathering outside, and I said to one of the the brothers in the church, uh, you know, I'm so happy that you're uh, taking up a group, and it's the first time that he's been a leader, hosted people. And so I said, I'm so happy that you're doing this. And he said, well, your message today pointed out some weaknesses in my life. Said, I, I I'm still afraid of doing this. And if you knew him, you would see that he doesn't have any reason to be afraid. But I, I said, Well, you just need more love in your life. You just love people a little more. It'll help you overcome those fears, reach out and build relationships that Christ has given you the love to do. In 1 John chapter 4, In verse 15, all who proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them. We know how much God loves us. We have put our trust in Him. God is love. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect so we will not be afraid. You see how that works? You put God's love in your heart. You express love for people and God gives you the ability to overcome your fears and insecurities. This is a great secret of life that when you go out into the big bad world and you face whatever it is that you're going to face and you're afraid of this or that, remember, fill yourself with the love of God and love for people and you'll overcome so much of your fear and be able to achieve what it is that God has called you to do. The fourth area that deals with relationships, destroys them, is bitterness. Bitterness. Another word that could go with bitterness would be resentment. But being of the personality I am, I thought bitterness was a little more sharp. Bitterness. Many of us might admit to resentment of one thing or another. But not many of us would admit to bitterness. We need to call bitterness what it is. We need to call it by its name. Job 5, to worry yourself to death with resentment is a foolish, senseless thing to do. Scriptures say that offenses will come. We can't avoid it. We will be hurt by others throughout our lives. The important thing is, what do I do with this hurt? Will it make me better or will it make me bitter? Often the little things that cause us to develop resentments through life. In a marriage, we first overlook them. But as time goes on, we allow them to build up in any relationship really. People can get on our nerves and we build up relationships. We don't deal with it. First, we attract and then we attack. Shouldn't be that way. Deal with the things as we go along because Christ has given you the ability to do it. Resentment and bitterness are always wrong. They cause us to stop thinking clearly. Logic goes out the window. Your perspective gets distorted. You don't know what to do. Having bitterness is like shooting yourself with a gun so the other person can feel the recoil against his shoulder. Doesn't make any sense. You want to hurt in some way, you want to hurt them in some way, so you just go ahead and shoot yourself so the butt of the rifle can hit their shoulder. That's stupidity. Don't do that. Psalm chapter 73 Since my heart was embittered and my soul deeply wounded, I was stupid and could not understand. We have to face these things with reality. Hebrews 12, look after each other. Watch out that no bitterness takes root among you, for as it springs up, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. When someone is hurting in your circle, in your group, gather around them. Help them not to get bitter about the situation. This is how we grow together. We teach an example that forgiveness is the answer for our life. How do we counteract bitterness? Through forgiveness. Because forgiveness builds relationships. Colossians chapter 3, you must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Why must I forgive others? Because resentment and bitterness does not work for you. Do it for your own benefit. Secondly, you've been forgiven by God. Thirdly, you're going to need more forgiveness in the future, so you might as well start the process now. You can say, I cannot forgive them. The offense is too great. And it's true that many people feel that way, and there have been awesomely terrible experiences which people have gone through, and forgiveness is far away from you. It is true that human love runs out, But friends, divine love, agape love, is supernatural. That's why you need Jesus to help you to forgive. Our lives were once full of resentment and envy, but then Christ saved us, not because we were good enough to be saved, but because his kindness and love By washing away our sins and giving us the new joy of the indwelling Holy Spirit. All because of what Jesus our Savior did. So that he could declare us good in God's eyes. Forgiveness, friends, is not making excuses for the one who hurt you. No matter how heinous the offense. It is not minimizing the hurt. Forgiveness is not justifying it or saying it's no big deal. It is a big deal. It was wrong. But what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is releasing them from judgment. It's God's job. It's letting go of resentment and pain. The right to get even. It's God's job. It is for your own sake. Because they only continue to hurt you if you refuse to let it go. Isaiah 43, the Lord says, forget what happened before and do not think about the past. I am going to do something new. I will make rivers on dry land. Resentment and bitterness turns your heart into a desert and dries you up emotionally. Don't let it happen. No matter how awful the offense has been in your life, open your life to Jesus. Let him fill you with his love moment by moment and you will build great and lasting relationships in your life if you will do that. I've lived a long time and I'm thankful for it. But I have been through much over my life. I have had great offenses in my life. I've had great wrongs perpetrated upon me. I've had extreme trauma in my life. I know something about having to deal with these things. But why am I able to stand here and talk to you about it today? Because I learned early on in my life that if I did not forgive others, a root of bitterness would grow up in my life and I would be the worse for it. So through Christ and his love, I have forgiven every wrong. I have forgiven those who intentionally or unintentionally hurt my life and allowed God to bring that forgiveness in my life. I want to pray for you today for that as well. Because if God has spoken to you in any measure about some aspect of your life today, right now, you can do business with God about it. Right now, you can... Seal the deal. Make up the gap. You can accomplish what you need to accomplish just in this very moment as I close this message and pray for you. If you have identified some form of selfishness or pride or fear or bitterness in your life, right now, I want to pray for you. Now, I'm not going to ask you to lift your hand because that's not going to help me to see it. But what's going to help you is if you are willing right now to do business with Jesus. And you will ask for him to help you with your particular issues. So that the relationships of your life can be be flourishing and bountiful and helpful and beautiful. So Father, I pray. For each one who's in this room today, I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and help us with these issues. Help us to counteract these negative things that keep us from being in community one with another. Help us to love others. Help us to forgive others. Help us to deal with the issues that are uh, outstanding in our life, things that we have just let hang out there and we haven't dealt with them and they keep us fearful, resentful, bitter. God, help us today in Jesus' name. And I pray for a release in each one's life as they call out to you right now by faith in Jesus' name.